to the Kansas City area to start a youth ministry. Rita returned home to Grantville, Kansas, just outside Topeka, where she was going to work that, that summer. So uh, at the end of that three weeks that we'd been separated, I headed to Kansas City, but I, but I came to Kansas City a couple weeks early, or a few days early, excuse me, so that I could travel on to Grantville and spend some time with Rita. So, so I had about a seven-hour drive. Now, this was, this was uh, 30-some-odd years ago the, before cell phones, and, and actually back then, 40-some, uh, excuse me, 40-some years ago, it was, uh, been a long, it wasn't quite 40, 38 years ago, I think, so long, long time ago. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of parents here today weren't even born uh, when this was happening. So, uh, but as long, so we were lucky to even have a phone. I think it was, the phones we had were ones you cranked up. and you, No. Uh, but actually, long distance was really expensive back then. Uh, you don't know what it's like, people, because you know, it used to be you had to pay quite a bit for long. So we didn't talk much, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So, so I'm driving back from, from uh, southern Illinois to Grantville to see Rita. And man, I am anticipating our reunion. I am excited that I'm going to get to see her. So this seven-hour drive as I'm uh, heading to Grantville, I'm, I'm playing out in my mind what I think our reunion is going to be like. Uh, I know as I pull into Grantville uh, and, and turn the corner to her house, their house about half a block down, I, I just know Rita's going to be standing in the picture window staring at the corner waiting for my little VW bug to come around the corner. She's going to run out, run to the front door and out the front door. I've got it all played out. As I pull up, I'm barely going to get the car stopped, and she's going to pull me out of the car, smother me with hugs and kisses. So, so that's motivating me as I'm driving. I'm, I'm just picturing this is going to be so much fun. When I get to see her again, and she, oh, it's, I, I play it out of my mind. As I turn the corner on her street, I, I glance towards that picture window and the front door. They're side by side. Uh, and I don't see her come running out. And then I kind of feel bad for her because I thought she's been standing there all day waiting for me. The one time she goes and gets a drink or goes to the bathroom is when I pull up. So, so as I pull into the drive, still no Rita, I, I, I honk my horn. Of course, admittedly, a VW horn's not very loud, but, but, but I know she's got to be anticipating. I honk the horn. I thought she's going to hear her come busting out, but still no Rita. Uh, I hesitate a little bit, you know, giving her one more chance to come busting out the door. She doesn't, so I get out of the car, walk up to the door. I thought, now, I'm going to surprise her. This is going to really be... But I see a note on the door and, and addressed to me. Uh, I'm playing softball in Topeka, uh, and she draws a map. Now, I'll be honest, I was a little hurt. I would have thought she would tell the team, no way I'm going to play softball today. Tim's coming, but... But then I also, I realized how special a lady she is. She's the pitcher on the softball team, and, and she has a duty there. And so I, I appreciate that about her, and that, that, that's why I love her so. so. So I head into Topeka, I follow directions, I pull up to the park, and while I'm there, a, a new scenario begins to, to gather in my mind, and, and as I walk up, I thought, what if she's out in the field and she's pitching? As I walk up to the diamond, she's going to see me. I know what's going to happen. She's going to throw her glove down and she's going to run off the field and come out of the fence. I thought it's going to be kind of an awkward moment for the people there, but, but uh, how cool for me. She's going to run up. And, uh, and as I walk up, and I'm, I'm doing my, I'm not very good at this, but I'm doing my really cool kind of casual debonair walk. Okay, I realize I don't have that. But uh, 
But as I'm walking up, I, I see her turn her head from the man, and she sees me. And she nods. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what self-control she has. <laughs> so she keeps on pitching. The, they cord the third out, and she comes off the field. I'm standing at the edge of the fence. She walks up to the fence, and I'll never forget what she said. I, 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 can, hear, I can hear her voice today. She walked up the fence, and this is what she said. Hi. <laughs> and then she walked in the dugout and sat down. <laughs> you, you, you talk about an unexpected response. That, that was nowhere in all the, the stuff I'd been thinking about would, would happen. Now, now, the truth is, I found out later, she admitted later, uh, she was, had some cold feet, and she was wondering about our relationship. Now, how, how, why she would have done that, I don't know. Uh, maybe she should have listened to her, her first thought there, but, uh, but she just had some cold feet, and a few weeks later, she kind of got over that, and then everything went, you know, the rest is it, I guess. Uh, but boy, that was awkward for a while. We're today in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. You guys know these verses. There's a couple verses, obviously, verse 16 you're very familiar with. Verse 3 you're probably very familiar with. Uh, this is not going to be new territory, new scripture for us this morning. But we're going to look at this encounter with Jesus. And in this encounter, we see a, we see a, a rather awkward moment that, that is caused by an unexpected response. And the truth is, as we look at this story, uh, and we see Jesus talking to this man named Nicodemus, we, we, uh, we understand a little better, or at least it puts in context for us, a little better those verses that we do know. Uh, John 3.16, for God's love of the world. We know that verse. Well, now we'll kind of see the context. We'll see what was going on. We'll see the, the characters. We'll see that unexpected, unexpected response and maybe understand it a little bit better. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 to 7. I'm not going to read the whole section right now. I'm just going to read a couple verses to start, and we'll read the rest uh, here in a bit. This is what it says in the first two verses of John chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a member of the Jew Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Let's first of all set the scene there in, in those first two, uh, two verses. Here's the first thing we see. We see the man, this Nicodemus. So when you remember John 3.16, you remember John chapter 3, verse 3, remember all this neat stuff that comes in this chapter. It all is, is part of this encounter with this man, Nicodemus. Who was, who was this man? First of all, he was a Pharisee. We know from this, the passage there that he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was one of the religious leaders uh, of the day. And not only was he a Pharisee, it says he was part of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council. So he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the Pharisees of Pharisees, if you will. They were the, the ruling council. So he, he was a Pharisee, which was important, but he was even more important than that because he was part of a group of 70 that ruled, uh, that were not just religious leaders, but actually cultural leaders in all the land of Israel. Even though Rome was... Uh, was occupying Israel, Rome actually stepped back and allowed the Sanhedrin to kind of rule things there. Now, if they did something they didn't like, Rome would step in, but they actually allowed the Sanhedrin to still kind of control things uh, while, uh, while they were, were there. And Nicodemus was part 
of that group. He was a man who spent his entire life, he was dedicated to studying the law and the prophets, uh, to teaching the people, to interpreting, to, to applying the law to, to people's lives. That's, that's who he was. He was well-educated. He had spent his whole life in, in, immersed in the law and the prophets. He was well-educated as well as being, uh, being well-connected. He was, he was a powerful man. And, and we're told in this passage that, that he came to Jesus to talk to him. So, so that's who he was. He, he was an important guy. We also, besides just seeing the man, we also see the mission. He had a, he had a reason to come to Jesus. Now we know from the passage, it says there that he came to him at night. So, so he was somewhat secretive. Uh, now, now possibly he came to Jesus at night because he just wanted to have a one-on-one uh, one-on-one meeting with Jesus. Maybe he came at night because that's the only time he could get away, that he could catch Jesus when people weren't around, and, and he could be there so they could have... Maybe he had talked to Jesus during the day and said, hey, can I have a meeting at 8 o'clock with you tonight? Maybe that's what happened, but I don't think so. I think he came to Jesus at night because he wanted it to be a secret. He didn't want anyone else to know that he was there. He didn't want his fellow members of the Sanhedrin, the other Pharisees and Sadducees, he didn't want even the people to know that he was interested in what Jesus might have to say. So he came to, to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He came to him, and, and it was, his mission was somewhat secretive. But he also came to Jesus, and I think we see these two things are tied together. He came to Jesus, and he was searching. He was searching for some answers. He was searching for, for some reality. He was searching to find out a, a little bit more about Jesus and who he was and what was going on. But with that, he was also sincere. Had, had he wanted to uh, be confrontational with Jesus, if he wasn't sincere in, in wanting to know about Jesus, I don't think he would have come at, came at night. I think he would have done it in the middle of the day. If he was wanted to be contra, uh, controversial or confrontational, he would have come to Jesus during the day and questioned him so he could, could maybe trick him. I don't think that was the case at all. I think he was both sincere and he was... Uh, was searching. The reality is Nicodemus, because of who he was and, and what he represented and what he had done with his life, should have been 100% secure with who he was in his faith. He has been his whole life studying the law. He was a professional believer, if you will. And he should have been 100% sure with, with, with what he believed and where he was and what was going on. And if there was something about this Jesus something about see, see when he heard the teaching of Jesus and he and he and he saw the power in his words and when he saw what Jesus had done in people's lives it it awakened in him something that that he didn't even realize was there it, it awakened a need in his spirit that he hadn't even realized see we know that Nicodemus had probably seen a lot of the miracles of Jesus had seen some of his teaching. We mentioned last week from Luke chapter 15 that uh, Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees were kind of at the edge. So they were the ones that were said from the verse we looked at last week uh, saying, well, he welcomes and eats with sinners. That, that's what happened a lot of times. Jesus taught. The Pharisees were at the edge listening, trying to catch him in something. Uh, probably in that group many times was Nicodemus. Maybe he wasn't trying to. Maybe he wasn't the one throwing out the barbs or trying to undercut. But he was there listening. So we know that he had heard about Jesus. We had 
He, he had listened to Jesus preach. He had, he had probably seen some of the miracles. While his colleagues were feeling threatened and they were feeling uh, hot under the collar of this Nicodemus, this Nicodemus realized there was something different. There was something about Jesus. He just couldn't quite figure it out. So he came to him that night and he was searching for answers. He was searching. Now, now let me suggest here this morning, this is going to sound a little bit odd, but let me suggest here this morning that there are many of us here today that are just like Nicodemus. Just as he came to Jesus secret, secretively, there's times that we do the very same thing. Now, I know what, I know what you might be saying. Well, what are you talking about, dude? There, there, there's a there's hundred people 150 people here today how can you mean that we come to him secretly just as Nicodemus came under the cover of darkness oftentimes we come under the cover of of righteousness or 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 dare I say self-righteousness like Nicodemus we're searching and we're sincere we realize there's something about this Jesus that we want we want we we see the power in, that he has in changing people's lives, and we want that. But, but we can't help but come with an, a little bit of an attitude that says, nope, I've got it together. Uh, we, we put on our Christian smile. We carry our Bibles. We, we have our Christian phrases down. We, we, we know all the right Sunday school answers. But we find ourselves searching. And we come to church... Somewhat under the cover of, hey, I've got it together, but we're hoping. We're hoping that something will be said. We're hoping that there'll be a verse that's read, a sermon, a song, uh, a testimony from someone, a conversation with a believer. We don't want anyone to know that we're struggling. We don't want anyone to know that we're hurting. We don't want anyone to know that we're searching. But boy, we are. So let me suggest today, as, as you look around, if it's not you, there might be a Nicodemus here that's got it all together, it appears, but boy, there's something about Jesus. And I really want to know more. I want to know more. Uh, Ruth Bell is the daughter of uh, Billy Graham, and she wrote a, years ago wrote an insightful book entitled, In Every Pew Sits a Broken Heart. In her book, she tells her story, her personal story of brokenness and trials and her journey back to faith. Uh, her purpose in writing the book was uh, to, uh, to open the eyes of the church to the reality that even in our midst, in the body of Christ, there are people that are struggling. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are, are searching. She tells in her story kind of a pivotal moment. She actually starts the book out with this story, but it was a pivotal moment in her life, in her journey back to God, uh, of a trip that she took to North Carolina. She was living in South Florida and she drove the, the 16 hours from South Florida to the mountains of North Carolina to see her parents again. She was hoping that she would find some redemption there, but she had no idea what would, would happen. Would she be welcomed or would she be rejected? See, she was broken by the choices that she had made. She was stubborn and willful, and she admitted that at this point, and she had followed her own path. She had been warned not to do it. Others had tried to help her make the right decisions, but she hadn't. She had hurt herself. She had hurt her children. And she feared in her soul that she had embarrassed her parents. Uh, her anxiety grew with each passing mile as she 
approached her father's house in North Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina, what would they say? Would they reject me? Would they condemn me? Would they despise me? She thought they had the right. As she rounded the last corner and headed towards their driveway, she saw her, her father, Dr. Billy Graham, standing in the driveway. As she pulled into the driveway, she stopped, took a deep breath, and stepped out of the car. And as she did, her dad, Billy Graham, was standing right there. She says before she could say a single word, Dr. Graham opened his arms, enveloped her in a hug, and simply said, welcome home. If you're here today and you're struggling with brokenness, if you're here today and you're struggling with hurt, if you're searching, if you realize that there's something about Jesus, there's something about his words and his power, there's something I want that I know I'm lacking, Jesus' words to you are simple. He says, he says, welcome home. But here's where the story gets awkward. It gets, it gets a little bit strange because we see the response uh, that Jesus gave. Nicodemus had came to Jesus, hey, we see that you're a powerful teacher because you couldn't do these miraculous signs. And, and really what he's saying, and you couldn't preach like you preach. But wasn't because God was in your heart. He knew something was special about Jesus, so he had given Jesus this big compliment, and and the response that he got back was not what he was expecting. Let's see what he says there in verse three. These are going to be some of the verses you'll remember. Verse three of chapter three. In reply, Jesus declared, "I tell you the truth: no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again." How can a man be born? When his old Nicodemus asked, surely he can't enter into a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at, at, me, at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound and, and you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into the heaven except one who came from heaven, the Son of Man." Just as Moses was lift, lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Now we're familiar verses here. Verse 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His, only, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Nicodemus came saying, Jesus, man, you... You are from God. You're a powerful teacher. I know you're for, you're, you're, you have to be from God. Or you couldn't do what you're saying or, or do the things that you're doing. How did Jesus respond? Well, well, let's see first what he didn't say. Nicodemus had praised him, but Jesus didn't bite on it. Jesus didn't respond to that. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. Hey, Johnny, I, you and your, your worship team... I just want you to know, you guys did a great job today, as you do every Sunday. 
Don't you think Nicodemus expected that response? Don't you think at least on an initial level when, when he said, hey, Jesus, you're a pretty cool dude. You, you obviously are from God. Don't you think he expected Jesus to say, well, thanks, Nicodemus. Appreciate that. You, you would have expected him to say something along the lines like, hey, uh, Nicodemus, you're a powerful man. Uh, I, I recognize you're a teacher of the law. And it means a great deal to me that you said that. But we see here that Jesus wasn't concerned about being polite. He didn't stroke Nicodemus and say, yeah, Nicodemus, I appreciate that because you are powerful. That's not what he said. Jesus didn't try to be political. He could have saw this as a great opportunity to score some political points. Man, if I can get Nicodemus on my side, he's part of the 70. He's a leader. People listen. If I can get Nicodemus to, to follow me, then maybe I can get the Sanhedrin. Maybe I can get the Pharisees to follow me. Man, if I can get the Pharisees to endorse me, then I could be the next president, I mean the next Messiah. Uh, if, I could get, if I could get them to follow me, wow, would that be powerful. But Jesus wasn't worried about the political of this. Jesus' response was motivi- motivated by what, what he saw. See, Jesus saw in Nicodemus a need in his heart. Nicodemus came to Jesus and he wanted to talk about theology. He probably wanted to talk to him about prophecy. He probably wanted to talk about the kingdom. Hey, are, are you the Messiah? And if you are, how's this going to work? How's this going to happen? What is it going to look like? And there probably were some selfish motives there as well. Well, if you are the Messiah, where am I going to fit in this? You know, can, can I have a, an important role in this? Nicodemus was expecting Jesus to side with him, to support him, to speculate with him, maybe even to seize the moment with him. But instead, Jesus blew him out of the water when he spoke to his heart. When he said to him, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you're, you're trying to do it with what you know and what you've done with what you've studied, I'm telling you that it's who knows you. And and it's what's been done. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, I'm talking about your heart. And it's your heart that needs change. You came searching for answers. And Jesus' response to him simply was, I am the answer. It's interesting to note, if you read on in the, the Gospel of that Nicodemus did become a follower of Jesus. John uh, chapter 7 uh, tells us in verse 50 that Jesus defended Nicodemus and that he had begun to follow him. John chapter 19, we see Nicodemus after Jesus was crucified was one of the ones that went and took the body uh, off uh, from, from the, the cross and took the body to the tomb. He first of all came to Jesus secretly and at this point he had become a follower of Jesus and he didn't care if people saw, uh, saw him with Jesus, even if it was carrying the body. Are you here this morning? Are, are you Nicodemus? Have you come secretly to Jesus questioning and, and searching and hoping to find an answer? If you are, then there's good news. Jesus says, I am the answer. And let's look at, at one last point. We see it there at the end of the uh, end of the text in verses 16 and 17. We see the salvation story. Jesus says, 
says, I am the one. God loved the world so much that He sent me. And I'm not here to condemn, I'm here to offer salvation. If you come here today and you find yourself needing to have your heart changed, if Jesus is calling you to be born again, and by that I don't necessarily just mean a conversion experience, if Jesus is calling you to daily sacrifice of yourself, to be born anew in your heart on a daily basis, He calls you to take up your cross daily and follow Him. And I simply ask, what is preventing you? Nicodemus came searching for an answer, wanting to know who this Jesus was and wanting to know how he can impact him. And Jesus' answer was, was to the heart, you have to be changed. Your heart has to be changed. You have to be born again. In, in his book, uh, In the Grip of Grace, Max Lucado recounts this story. They said the, his older two daughters were sent to a camp in southern Missouri the first time that they had been away from home for an extended period of time. And, and, and during that week of camp, it said his daughters became very homesick, but they, they weren't nearly as bad off as he and his wife. said so they were missing their daughters terribly. They, at the end of the week, they, they were to fly in to see him. And, and Lucado says, I flew in the day before because I didn't want to risk having a flight canceled or something changed. He arrived at the camp at 3 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, they were, they were going to be allowed to go into the camp to pick up their kids. But he said, I arrived outside the camp at 3 o'clock, and there was a rope laying across the road that kept us back. Uh, and at 3 o'clock, he said, I wasn't the only person there. There were some other dads and moms that, who were missing their kids. And so we all just kind of stood around. At about 4.30, a couple guys came out, and they picked up that rope and held it taut across the road. And he said, at that point, I walked up and made sure I was right against the rope. I was there ready to go. And at 5 o'clock, on the dot, the guys dropped the rope. Lucado says, uh, I, with all those other people, began to, to briskly walk across the line into the camp to find his daughters. And then he said, out of the corner of my eye, I, I caught a guy uh, over to the right that began to jog. Lucado says, not to be outdone, I began to jog. Then I noticed a guy off to my left had turned into a full sprint. And Lucado says, I'm not going to be the last one there. So, so he took a full sprint. Sprint. This is what he says. Enough of the preliminaries. The hour had struck, the rope was down, and I was willing to do whatever it took to see my kids. He goes on and says this. God feels the same. God is ready to see his own. He, too, is separated from his children. He, too, will do whatever is necessary to take them home. Nicodemus was searching. And Jesus said, here's the answer, it's me. God sent me to change your heart. We'll close with this. Mark Jones tells tells the story of Tammy Trent. It was September 2001 when Tammy Trent and her husband uh, vacationed in Jamaica. One afternoon, her husband went scuba diving, and there was a, a tragic accident, and he drowned. The next morning was September 11th. 2001, the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. Because of that, Trent was unable to fly home, and none of her friends were able to fly to where she was to be with her. So she sat alone. She tells a story that she was sitting in her motel room, and she was sobbing. She said, I just kept praying, Lord, I can't get through this. I just need you to send an angel to wrap his arms around me, to hold me. Please, God, she pleaded. 
couple minutes later, she heard a knock on the, the door, and there stood her angel. Now, now, granted, it didn't look like an angel. It looked like a cleaning lady. But as the cleaning lady stepped into the womb, she saw, the, the room, she saw the, the tear-streaked, her tear-streaked face, and, and she said to Trent, are, are you okay? And, and Tammy answered, no. And, and, and then she looked into her soul and saw it, and, and the cleaning lady said, you're grieving, aren't you? And she, she set down her cleaning supplies and reached over and enveloped her in a big old hug. Trent said she put her head on her shoulder and just sobbed. After a few moments when she kind of regained her composure, the, the cleaning lady leaned back and looked at her and said, said are you a Christian? Do, do you mind if I pray for you? Trent says she's, she prayed one of the most, most moving and touching and comforting prayers that she'd ever heard in her life. And when she prayed, she had, had regained her composure and, and, and she sat on her bed and, and opened her Bible while this cleaning lady began to clean the room. And, and while she did, she, she sang hymns and praise songs. Trent said, I had called out to God to send an angel. And he did. God is, is calling out. God is hearing our cries. God has heard our pleas. Where do I turn? What, what do I do? How do I make sense of my life? I'm searching for a meaning that's deeper than, than, than what I'm experiencing now. Lord, what, what do I do? Nicodemus came to Jesus that night. He was confused, and yet he was interested. He was hoping, yet he wasn't sure. But he came to Jesus that night crying out for an answer, and Jesus said, I am. If you're here today and, and you're not a believer, certainly Jesus says to you, you must be born again. You must accept me as your Savior. Jesus sent me to die for you so that you can have life. But maybe you're here today and you are a believer. You, you've been in church all your life, but, but you come somewhat under the cover of, of righteousness or self-righteousness, and yeah, I've got it all together, but you're really like Nicodemus. I'm like, man, I just want to know something more. I, I need more power in my life than what I've been experiencing. And Jesus' response to you is the same that he gave to Nicodemus. You must be born again. I'm the way. I'm the answer. Would you bow with me? Father, our, our hearts reach to you. We cry to you. We, we, we often call to you in our pain. We call to you in our confusion. Father, we call to you in our uncertainty. Father, even in this body today, there's a broken heart in the pew. Someone here today that came with a smile on their faith, face, but behind that smile is pain and confusion and hurt. There's someone in the pew today, Father, that, that, that's wanting more, that's wanting to connect with you in a powerful way. And, and they're simply wanting to know how. And you gave the answer, Father, uh, through your Son. Father, our, our, our challenge today, our, our call today is to give our life to you. Uh, Father, bless us. Bless us as we call you our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and, 
and you're Nicodemus. You've been in church your whole life, you've got it all together, and it seems, it appears, and, and yet there's something missing, there's some pain there, there's some hurt, there's some uncertainty. You're, you're searching, what, what's the answer, how can I find it? Maybe, maybe you're here today because a, a friend invited you, or you, you tagged along with mom and dad, and you really don't know who this Jesus is. If, if you're searching for that answer, Jesus says to you, be born again. Jesus says, come and let me welcome you into my kingdom. Would you stand?